Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 10th, 2021, we begin a new series titled Biblical Worldview. Today's sermon, Can I Trust the Bible, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager. Enjoy. Uh, You guys have a set of these? I wear these when I read. Anyone else? When you're looking at a menu, my parents do this. They pour out their readers to look at a menu. You reach that stage of life. We love you anyways. Why are you applauding for that? You're like, yeah, we're getting old. No, these are for a very specific purpose. These are just for when I read so I don't get a headache. I actually have lots of different types of lenses I wear for specific purposes. You might do a similar thing. Uh, Last week I was putting some shelving up in my son Jude's room for his Lego station, so I wore these a lot as I was chopping some stuff and gluing some stuff and putting some things together. These are like my work, my working lenses, safety goggles. You guys have a set of these if you do some stuff in your garage, you know what those are like. Uh, I wear these ones pretty frequently when I'm outside and it's bright outside. Thank you. Very kind of you. Got a set of those. Um, Got a set of these. Be honest, my wife doesn't let me wear these. She says they look too goofy, so those actually don't get much use. Um, These are my wife's. We used to wear these a lot. We used to spend a lot of time on the mountain when we were up at NAU. I majored in snowboarding for two years. That was really, really cool. I wore those quite a bit. Now we have kids and jobs and we're married, so those don't get used anymore. Um, another set of lenses. I really enjoy these lenses. These are my hunting, sorry, my bird watching lenses that I wear when I'm out looking at, uh, hey, brush your teeth. These are fun to use. We have all sorts of different lenses that we wear at any given time, right? We take them off, we put them on, we take them off, we put them on. But there's one set of lenses that you and I wear all the time, and it's called a worldview. A worldview is the lens by which we interpret all of life. It's how we see life. It's how we understand life. It's how we answer life's biggest questions like, how did I get here? What's the purpose of all this? What's right? What's wrong? What happens when I die? It's through the lens of our worldview we interpret like current events, things going on in our world. It's how we interpret how we ought to treat the person next to us, how we ought to treat our friend, how we ought to treat our enemy. And for the Christian, our worldview should not be based on just experience or education like worldview often is. For the Christian, our worldview should be biblical. It should be biblical. This is the lens by which we should view all of life. Everything we see happening around us, it's how we should answer life's biggest questions. Man, why am I here? How did I get here? What's the meaning of all this? What's right? What's wrong? What happens when I die? How should I understand current events? How should I love my neighbor? How should I love my enemy? All of those questions are answered through having a biblical worldview. So for the next four weeks, that's what we're doing as a church. We're diving into biblical worldview. Now, you've, you've probably heard the saying, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, you what? You feed him for a lifetime, right? We can think of this series kind of like that. We could very easily just come up with every cultural issue we can think of and just say, this is what the Bible says, and then teach you what to think about each and everything. But we, w- we want Highlands to be as a thinking church. We want Highlands to be a place when something comes up that all of us are equipped, that we've been taught 
to fish. So we know how to think, not just what to think, but how to think and how to do that biblically. So for the next four weeks, let me tell you where we're going. This morning, we're doing an introduction to worldview, biblical worldview. Biblical worldview is just that, biblical. So what's the Bible and can I trust it? That's the topic for this morning. Next week, we're gonna answer life's biggest questions through a biblical worldview. How did I get here? Why am I here? What's right? What's wrong? What happens when I die? How, ought, should, how should I look at uh, the things going on in our world? Week three, we're gonna look at other major worldviews and not for the purpose of setting them up so we can knock them down and belittle them and tell everyone why they're dumb. That's not why we're doing that. What we're gonna do is try to understand how other people think so that we can actually have meaningful conversation and dialogue with the people in our lives. And that by understanding the way they think, what makes them tick and everything else, we'll actually be able to share the gospel with them in more meaningful, intentional ways. And then week four, we're gonna talk about applying a biblical worldview. So we're gonna talk about the Bible and how it answers life's biggest questions and even look at some of life's biggest issues in our world today and run them through the biblical framework that we've created as an example to the church of how we then can do this thing. Um, Let me tell you, throughout the course of our series, we are scratching a scratch in the surface. We are flying like at a 10,000 could Jillian foot view on this thing. People give their whole life to studying and teaching biblical worldview. So the way we've designed this is for our weekend services to kind of fly high up here, give big overview, and then in our small groups to dive down deeper. So if you're not in a small group, I would encourage you to do that. You can do that this morning. Go to Info Central, say, hey, I want to join a group. Or you can come down, talk to me after service. I am the small groups pastor here, so I'd love to help you plug into a small group. Um, Each and every week, we're also providing different resources from the pulpit here, also in your outline, and then also extra resources in your discussion guides that you'll have in small groups. So you can stay up here as as high as you'd like, um, but you can also dive down as deep as you'd like throughout the series as well. So let me pray. And then we're gonna hop into biblical worldview. What's the Bible? Can I trust it? God, thank you for giving us your word. God, thank you for answering life's biggest questions for us in this book that you wrote. God, thank you that this isn't just uh, just some history book. We're grateful it's not some science book. We're grateful it's not just fun, uh, some fun poetry book, but God, it's your word. God, thank you that we can trust it. Thank you that we can obey it. And in doing so, we can have a life that's transformed by your grace and the power of your spirit. So God, this morning, would you receive all glory, honor, and praise? Would you help us um, digest this? Because it's a lot of stuff. And would you do that for your glory, your glory alone? All God's people said, Amen. amen. Biblical worldview is just that. It's biblical. It starts with the Bible. Two questions we're gonna answer this morning. First question is this, what's the Bible? And then secondly, can I trust it? Let me um, recommend two resources for you briefly. Um, This is a book that Pastor Mark Ewell wrote here at Highlands Church with the help of Kat Oston, wonderful woman on staff. Uh, It's called Knowing the Book, Getting Grounded in the Bible. We have these available for you, five bucks at Info Central this morning. It's a part of our Deeper Walk Discipleship Series. You can pick one of those up. Uh, You can pay through the app or give cash. If you don't have the app or the cash, take the book, read it. It'll be really good for you. Second resource, um, Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem. He lives right down the street. He was my seminary professor for years. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man of God. The stuff that we're covering this morning, he covers in about 160 pages. So when I say we're scratching a scratch in the surface, I really mean it. Both of these are down here if you want to come look at them. Uh, It's also really heavy, so if you're looking for something to hold your garage door open, you can get that. That'll also help. And occasionally pick it up. It'll be good for you. Um, If Dr. Wayne Grudem is watching this, I'm sure he's not. I apologize. Great book. We love it. We're all going to listen and do what it says, okay. Um, So what is the Bible? Let me first give you a long answer before I give you a short answer. What is the Bible? If you're writing down notes, you might want to 
um, jot this long answer down. The Bible is living and active, God-breathed, reliable collection of 66 different books written on three continents and three languages by 40 authors over 1,500 years. Got that part? The Bible is written by poets, prophets, princes, priests, prisoners, soldiers, and sailors. It was written from caves, prisons, palaces, desert ships, and homes. It's full of names, places, and people, all with one constant theme without contradictions, all pointing to Jesus and verifiable throughout human history. You got that? Next part. The Bible's the most read, most sold, most studied, most copied, most talked about, and most died for book of all time, while at the same time being the most despised, most disputed, most dissected, most debated, and most destroyed book in all of human history. And even so, it stood the test of time and still remains today. Amen. So what's the Bible? Is God's word. Amen. If you're taking notes, that's the easy version of everything I just said. It's God's word. We believe this. In fact, here at Highlands, we believe it so much that everything uh, we do points back to something we find in the scriptures. We believe the Bible is God's word in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey the Bible, we believe that's to disbelieve or disobey God himself. It's not the Bible that we worship. It's not the Bible we serve. It's the guy who wrote it that we worship that we serve. It's God. It's his word. Now, why do we believe that? We believe that because that's what the book claims for itself. If I told you my favorite color was Hunter's bird watcher's green. If I told you my favorite color was bird watcher's green and you said, no, it's red. But that was an option. I told you it's green. That's, it's green. Just like Jesus says he's the Lord. Jesus said he's the son of God. We don't get to call him anything else because he said what he was. The Bible claims to be God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's breathed out by God. That's a weird way to say it's God's voice. It's God's voice because even as I'm speaking now, air is passing over my vocal cords, which is making the noise you hear coming out of my mouth. It's God's words. It's God's breathed. It's God's spoken. The Bible itself claims to be God's word. Well, didn't a bunch of guys write it? Where did it come from? Well, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this, knowing that first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And in other words, guys aren't just making the stuff up. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, I could pick up one of my kids now and carry them to the parking lot. And technically they did get to point A to point B, but they didn't do it on their own. Right, I, would, I carried them along. So who would you credit with actual the transportation there? You'd credit me, the guy who carried them. That's the way the scriptures work. Although the authors got from point A to point B, it was God who carried them along and inspired their words as they wrote it, as God told them to. The Bible claims to be God's word. So what's God's word, or what's the Bible? It's God's word. That's the first question and the first answer. The second question is this. Can the Bible be trusted? I only have a short answer this time. Yes. Yes, the Bible can be trusted. Here at Highlands, we believe you can trust it 100%. 100%. Can it be trusted? This is a legitimate question because if, if it can't be trusted, what are we doing? Right? We could play so much more golf if we just stopped coming to church all the time. What are we doing? If it's not true, we are wasting our lives for the wrong thing. But if it is true... That changes everything. 
It changes everything. We approach that question from a few different perspectives. Can the Bible be trusted? We first approach it from the position of um, a skeptic. You're not sure if the Bible can be trusted. Or you approach it from the standpoint of a critic. You're sure the Bible cannot be trusted. Or you approach it from the perspective of a Christian who says, yeah, I trust the Bible, but I'd like some reasons for how I can have good conversations with those who ask me why I, why I do, in fact, trust the Bible. Charles Spurgeon, a theologian, famously said this, the word of God is like a lion. The word of God's like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and that lion will defend itself. See, God doesn't need our help in proving why the Bible can be trusted, but the scriptures also say that we should be able to give a defense for the hope we have in Christ if someone asks us. Because maybe you've had a conversation that goes like this. Someone says, Thomas, uh, what do you believe about Jesus? Oh man, I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for my sins. I believe if I trust in him, I can live with God forever. Why do you believe that? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then a follow-up question goes something like this. Why do you believe the Bible? How do we answer that question? I believe it, you know, because it's all I grew up. Okay, how many of you grew up in a really weird way? And that's not a good reason for why we live the way we live. Well, that's how I was raised. Okay, well, I know some weird people who were raised weird ways. That's what my parents believed. It's not gonna cut it. We can't just believe things because our parents believe them. God wants us to think and act on our own. So how do we answer that question? Why do you trust the Bible? Let me give five reasons this morning why we can trust the Bible. Let me encourage you to latch on to one of them and maybe try to get one of these down so that if someone were to ask you the question, why do you trust the Bible, that you can answer that question in a good way. The first reason we can trust the Bible is this, because the Bible is textually accurate. Textually accurate. Remember, the Bible is a collection of 66 different books written from three continents in three languages, 40 authors written over 1,500 years, all of it agreeing thematically and all of it pointing to Jesus. It's full of names, places, and people, all of which we've seen are verifiable through history. This is an accomplishment in itself. Why can we trust it? Because there's just simply no other book like it. How does this collection of 66 books come to be? A fantastic answer. Again, I would encourage you, pick up the systematic theology book and read um, the chapter on canonicity and how we got the canon. Uh, it's gonna be incredibly helpful. So long story short, God commanded people to write things down and then empowered them by his Holy Spirit to write the correct words down. In the Old Testament, we see the Old Testament authors affirming and confirming what other Old Testament authors had previously said. If we look at the New Testament, Jesus and the New Testament writers affirm the Old Testament as the authoritative, divinely inspired word of God 295 times. 295 times the New Testament mentions the Old Testament as being divinely authoritative. By the way, it's a, it's a recognition that gives no other book. Okay, it doesn't talk about the apocryphal things as being divinely inspired or divinely authoritative. It doesn't matter the Quran as being divinely inspired or divinely authoritative. And the other faith books we currently have around didn't even exist yet. It talks about the Old Testament as being divinely authoritative. When it comes to the New Testament, God inspired his apostles in similar ways that he inspired the Old Testament authors to write it. Each book's been affirmed by the Christian church beginning in the first century. Each book maintains consistent doctrine, consistent themes, and each book shares the same divine character which reflects the work of the Holy Spirit. So what you're telling me is a bunch of dudes created it? 
No. Let me ask you a question. Did Sir Isaac Newton create gravity? Or did he only recognize what was already there? He recognized it. Oh, apple, crack, oh, cool, something, gravity, hey. Sure, it was more complicated than that. That's just my simple understanding of gravity. In the same way, the early church, they didn't create the canon. They didn't create the Bible. What they did was recognize what God had already done. They recognized what God had already created, just like Isaac Newton recognized gravity. And the copies we have of God's word are really, really, really great copies, more like a photocopy. Scribes of the day had serious rules. Uh, You and I, if we were to copy something, we'd probably go word by word, and if it was close, we'd be like, that's good. That's good enough, right? These guys went letter by letter as they copied God's word, and they knew it, like the back of their hand. At the end of a book, they'd check back, they'd count every letter because they knew how many times, like the letter A in our alphabet, uh, would appear in that text. They knew how many words were in each book. They knew which letter was at the middle of each book, and if any of those things were wrong, they burned it, so it could never be copied again. They copied it with so much accuracy. On top of this, the Bible passes every test that ancient texts take. Right, I have a friend, KP, she's an author. I can, I, I can read something that she wrote and say, KP, did you write this? And she'll say yes, or she'll say no. Okay, I can't do this, because guys like Homer, they're dead. I can't say, hey, Homer, did you write this book? He, he croaked a long, long time ago. I can't ask him. So what we do is we create these tests to see if these ancient texts are actually accurate. And things we look at, when was the original writing date? When's the first copy we have? How close are those two? And then how many copies do we have close to the original? Here's how the, Old Test- the, New- the New Testament stacks up to some of our ancient texts. Can we get some of that first slide up on the screen? Um, here are some texts that we say are historically accurate and reliable. Plato, Julius Caesar, uh, Aristotle, says poetics. Tacitus, which is the reason we know Roman history is all from that guy. And, and we all say these are reliable. They're good. They're good books. They're good texts. They're trustworthy. They pass all the tests. And if we look at how the New Testament compares to these accurate texts, can you show us that, how the New Testament compares? The New Testament was written between 50 and like 150 AD, all the stuff. Um, The earliest copies we have of the books in there are 130 AD, which is less than 100 years from the original and the amount of copies that we have, 5,600. So does the Bible pass the same tests? It passes the same tests with flying colors. Why is there so many translations? Why do we got so many books? There are a lot of translations. Uh, I have an NASB here. I have an NIV here. I have an NLT. Oops, sorry, Lord. Um, I have an NLT here. I have a message here. This is more like a paraphrase, less than a translation, more like a paraphrase. If you want to look at these afterwards, I'd encourage you to come and look at that. I have a Greek New Testament here. If you want to come look at, like, fancy, it's all Greek to me. I don't know. Go ahead. Come check it out. That's a really cool one to look at, too. We have lots of them. We have word-for-word things, and we have thought-by-thought things. Here at Highlands, we trust more of a word-for-word translation. It gets us as close back to the original as we can possibly get. Well, what about all the errors? I heard there's lots and lots of errors. I wouldn't call them errors. I'd call them differences. There are differences between um, some of the copies that we have, some like 24,000 differences, 75% of them spelling, like John with one end versus John with two ends, or some copies containing the word the, and others don't. 
All of those, by the way, will be footnoted in your Bible. If you're using a good Bible, it'll let you know that one word or another word was not in the original earliest text that we have. But nothing major, nothing like Jesus didn't come back from the dead, nothing major about Jesus and his wives and his children, nothing major about Jesus dying in different ways. All small, tiny little things that other ancient texts have as well, and the Bible still proves to be accurate. So why can we trust the Bible? We can trust the document itself because it passes every test that an ancient text takes. We can also trust the Bible because the Bible's historically accurate. It's historically accurate. Remember, it's a reliable collection of 66 different books written from three continents, three languages, 40 authors in over 1,500 years. All of it agrees, name, places, and people, all verifiable in history. The Bible is not necessarily a history book per se, but everything we read in it is historically accurate. What's interesting is what's historical in the Bible. Um, The Bible even mentions people that historians previously hadn't discovered, and because historians hadn't discovered them, they said, hey, you know why the Bible can't be trusted? You know why the Bible's not true? Because it talks about the Hittites. You heard about the Hittites, right? It's like the arch nemesis of Israel. Bible can't be trusted because it mentions the Hittites. Hittites didn't exist. That's what we thought for a long time. Hittites didn't exist until 1906 when some guy named Hugo Winkler discovered the capital of the ancient Hittites. Not only did they discover the capital with like Hittite inscriptions, they found 10,000 tablets which once, once deciphered, guess what it only confirmed and affirmed? It confirmed everything the Old Testament had already said about the Hittites. The Bible is telling us about people before our own historians even know these people exist. The book of Acts alone cites 54 cities, 39 countries, nine islands, again, all verifiable from history. Archaeologically, there's been 23,000. Well, 24,000 would be impressive. Why is there only 23? 23,000 archaeological digs all able to confirm the things that we see in the Old and New Testaments. One of the most important, most recent is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, Little shepherd boy was minding his own business, dealing with his sheep and whatnot, throwing rocks into caves because that's what boys do. They throw rocks at stuff. And he threw a rock into a cave and heard the shattering of a clay pot and guess what they found? Hundreds and hundreds of copies of the Old Testament. Hundreds, one of them an entire Isaiah scroll. And what's cool about this, historians were saying the Bible can't be trusted because the copies we have don't go far back enough, but guess what the Dead Sea Scrolls showed us? They gave us copies that were a 1,000 years earlier than the ones we had at that point. And guess what? They matched up with the copies that we had before. Historically, the Bible is accurate. The third reason, the Bible is prophetically, not pathetically, it's prophetically accurate. Prophetically accurate. Some 2,400 prophecies in the Bible, only 50 left to be fulfilled. 360 of them having to do with Jesus, only one of them left to be fulfilled, which is him coming back. That's a lot, 2,400 times. These aren't just guesses, by the way. These are accurate predictions. They're declarations of what will come to pass. 2 Peter 1.21, remember it said this, we read it earlier, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They're not just making these things up. This is God declaring things that would happen. And by the way, being a prophet in the Old Testament was a hard job, tough task. It wasn't like three strikes and you're out, grace period. It was like, hey dude, you get it wrong once, you're done, they'd kill you. So guys wouldn't just make stuff up. 
360 messianic prophecies. These are things all concerning Jesus. My favorite one found in Psalm chapter 22, starting in verse one. Um, The psalmist David says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You heard that before? What's that sound like? That sounds like Jesus on the cross, doesn't it? This is what Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse 16 says, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. What's that sound like? I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and from my clothing, they what? What's that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. And what's crazy about this prophecy that David wrote in the Psalms concerning the crucifixion of Jesus is that David writes this prophecy a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. prophetically accurate so we can trust it. The fourth reason we can trust the Bible is because the Bible was trusted by Jesus. The Bible of his time, the Old Testament, was trusted by Jesus. The Old Testament canon was closed at 435 BC with the writing of the book of Malachi. And at the time of Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, the Jews and all the Jewish leaders all agreed on the text that was the Old Testament. They believed it, they followed it, they listened to it, they did it. Not once do we see Jesus saying, hey, we're done with that. It's actually the opposite. What did Jesus say about the, about the Old Testament? Matthew chapter five, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. He says, I didn't come to throw it out. I came to fulfill it. There's a story in Luke chapter 24 after Jesus had came back um, from the grave. Luke chapter 24 and 25 through 27. It's that road to Emmaus thing where Jesus encounters two disciples and they're talking about, man, I can't believe that. Jesus died and people are going crazy over there right now. Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, what's going on? Will you tell me about it? And like, you haven't heard? Where have you been? And then Jesus, it's like, he, he, he starts teaching them. In verse 25, he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, we should believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He went back through the Old Testament and pointed out every single time that it talks about Jesus. Only affirming everything the Old Testament has already said. Not only did he affirm uh, all the teachings, he also affirmed the historical events recorded in the Old Testament, even the ones that we see as too far-fetched. We have one slide up here to show these. Luke chapter 17, Jesus talks about Noah and the flood. Why, do I, why should I believe Noah and the flood? Because Jesus believed Noah and the flood. Matthew 19, 4, Jesus believed Adam and Eve, the creation account, therefore I should too. In Matthew 10, 15, Jesus talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, therefore I believe those things actually happened too. Matthew 12, verse 40, the story of Jonah and the fish. People say, man, Bible's a great book. You had me until you had that thing about big old fish eating a guy and then puking him up three days later. That sounds a little crazy. That does sound a little crazy. But guess what? You know what's crazier? A guy who dies is dead for three days and then comes back to life. And if I trust that guy 
Jesus and Jesus is telling me, yes, a fish actually ate a guy. I think someone dying and coming back to life is crazier than a fish eating a dude. Okay, and if the one who I believe, if the one who I trust in believes it, I believe and trust in the same things he believes and trusts in. Why can I trust the Bible? Because even Jesus trusted in it. So what is the Bible? It's God's word. Can we trust it? Yes. And if those things are true, if the Bible is in fact God's word and it can in fact be trusted, then the way to live our life, the things we believe in, how we should treat people, the way we view our world and the events happening in it, the big questions we ask of life, if the Bible is God's word and the Bible is true, all of those answers are here. And if we do them, if we listen and obey, not just listen and memorize, listen and obey, we will have a life that's truly transformed by God. Quick survey real quick. How many of you would say that God has transformed your life by the power of the spirit through the reading and obedience of his word? That's the fifth reason. That's the fifth reason we can trust the Bible. It's because the Bible is transformational for those who will obey it. The Bible is transformational for those who will obey it. Why can we trust the Bible? Because we have millions and millions of reasons, millions and millions of people who've tried everything else. Millions of people who've battled addiction issues and and tried different things to overcome those. Millions of people who've battled relational issues and, and, and tried bunches of different things to overcome those. And it's when they give their life to Jesus and begin doing the things that Jesus tells us to do, their lives are truly transformed. Why can we trust the Bible? Because it truly is transformational. John chapter eight, verse 31 and 32 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide, if you listen to it, if you obey it, if you view all of life through it, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and truth will set you free. Friends, inside these pages is freedom. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what other things in life you've been trying. It's time to step aside, put those things down and pick up the book. Okay, in these pages, we don't just learn to know how to live our life. We learn to know who God is. We can know him. We can have a relationship with him. And when we know him, we can know who we are rightly because of who he really is. Followers of Jesus ought to trust, ought to abide in the Bible. Why? Because it is God's word and it can be trusted. And if we trust it and obey it, we can see how God sees and understand how he wants us to and we can find real freedom in this life. Let's pray. God, thank you for for giving us this book. God, we're grateful that you don't just leave us alone to live this life. You don't just leave us alone to interpret all the difficult things that are going on in our world, but you help us. God, help us know your word, not just know your word, but help us listen to, obey, and actually do the things your word says so that we can live the life that you've called us to live, all for your glory and your glory alone. God, we believe that you are the authority of our life. 
God, when there's some tension in the words written on the pages of scriptures in our life, God, help us understand it's not the scriptures that are wrong, but it's something that's wrong with us. God, thanks for sending your son Jesus who lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, who died the death we deserve to die, but he didn't stay dead. He overcame death so that we can truly find life and find life in you. God, would you receive all glory, honor, and praise from everything we've said and done in this place this morning? And would you receive our praise now even as we respond in worship? Jesus, we love you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. What's the Bible? Can we trust it? Yes. Friends, as we start our biblical worldview series, let's hold fast to those two things. The Bible is God's word and it can, in fact, be trusted. The next three weeks are all building on each other, so let me encourage as best you can, if you're here in person, be here in person the next four weeks in a row. If you're with us online, be sure to catch up with us every week online. If you're not in a small group, hop into a small group because we are going to get so much deeper with all of this stuff inside of those groups. Uh, it's not just the Bible we follow. It's not necessarily the Bible that we trust is the one who wrote the book. So this week, would we love the one who wrote the book? Would we follow the one who wrote the book? And would we do the things the guy who wrote the book tells us to do? Would we love each other? Would we love God? And we go make disciples. If you have questions, I'll be down front with some cool stuff and ask, answer anything I can if you have questions. We love you guys. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week.